0: There's increasing pressure across the entire economy to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. The impetus on reducing emissions from farm to fork in the food system will also increase. It's important that we not only understand where emissions are created and how many emissions there are and what efforts we might do to mitigate them, but also to understand the economic incentives that might help us uh, decrease or might cause increases in greenhouse gas emissions. My name is Mike von Massow, and this is the Food Focus Podcast. My guest this episode is Dr. Alphonse Weersink, a professor in the Department of Food, Agricultural, and Resource Economics at the University of Guelph. We talk about some of the economics around emissions associated with pro- crop production and why sometimes those create tensions with reductions, and also how uh, there's a real potential to reduce emissions through policy, and that policy doesn't necessarily need to be a stick, but there can be carrots, there can be education, and these things can help us uh, achieve some of the emissions targets uh, that we need to achieve. Before we get to the conversation with Alphonse, I thought I would just say again, thanks for listening. Uh, Our audience continues to grow, and I appreciate the messages of uh, of support and interest. You can find the podcast anywhere you look for a podcast. If you enjoy it, it, leave us a positive review. That allows others to find us as well. And we appreciate your support as our audience continues to grow. Now, without further ado, here's my conversation with Alphonse. Well, hello, Alphonse. Thanks for taking the time today. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Hello, Mike. Good seeing you. So, so, Alphonse, we're hearing a lot uh, of conversation about reducing emissions in agriculture. Um, we're hearing people on both sides of the argument, we need to do better. We're, he- we're hearing people say, well, we can't do it and not compromise on, on things like yields or production. Um, let's start at what are some of the things we can do, perhaps, to reduce the emissions associated with crop production?
1: So, if we're talking crop production, the main thing to reduce greenhouse gas emissions will be fertilizer management and uh, and how ha- and how much you put on, when you put it on, and in the form the it's referred to as the four R's, Mike, and uh, and that is the fertilizer management strategy that uh, would. Are, will guide farmers in reducing their amount that they use, but probably more importantly, their greenhouse gas emissions.
0: Okay. So, so I, as you know, I had a had a conversation earlier with uh, Claudia wagner Riddle, Riddle, sorry. Uh, and, uh, and she talked sort of specifically about some of the science behind, mm-hmm. behind those mm-hmm. things. What, what I think I'd like to get from your perspective is, uh, we're hearing people say Fertilizer Canada and others say that if we change the way we use fertilizer, we'll see dramatic reductions in yields and you know there are, there are trade implications, there are food security mm-hmm. implications and all those sorts of things. Can we do some of these, um, and, and, and those might be worthwhile in, in the face of emissions. But, but can we do things to reduce, uh, reduce the emissions associated with fertilizer? Uh, without significantly compromising uh, crop production.
1: Yeah, so in in case of the the, the situation with those four R's, Mike, the the main one in order to have any really significant impact on uh, on greenhouse gas emissions would be reducing the rate. Timing, so going to split application is a means uh, and inhibitors as well. Will uh, slow the release, uh, but they're not big players. Ultimately, you got to reduce the rate, and it's complicated in terms of whether it the the yield impacts. Um, The response function to fertilizer tends to be, or the payoff to fertilizer tends to be very flat around the optimum. So. Uh, for example, if the optimum is uh, two hundred and fifty kilograms per hectare, uh, there can be like only a ten dollar per hectare difference uh, if you use thirty kilograms less or thirty or a, a range of thirty kilograms, so fifteen kilograms less or fifteen kilograms more. So quite quite a range. You don't have to be very precise then. And that's one implication and. Also, it does suggest that, well, maybe we can reduce uh, fertilizer levels without having too much of an impact on yield. But it's complicated beyond that. So, you know, you start with there and saying, uh, wow, there, you've got this flat payoff function. Why don't farmers reduce their yields because, I mean, sorry, reduce their end rate because it's not going to affect their yields very much. But there are a host of factors, and that sort of complicates the design of policy to try to achieve that objective.
0: So, so, so let's, let's stick with, with the, 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 I'd like to get to policy in a second, but let's stick with that first thing. So you're saying that the, the marginal benefit of the additional 30 kilos of uh, the expected marginal benefit is relatively low. Um, Then why, why are we doing that then?
1: Yeah, so I think there are a number of reasons that they do that farmers do it. One is that um, they're getting advice from people who have the incentive to sell. Yeah. So that's that's one. But I, I also think there are a number of, uh, of other reasons. One is that farmers hate to look at a poor-looking crop. There's an intrinsic value that they get from having a green, healthy-looking crop and you, you want to ensure that you've got enough fertilizer to make sure that happens you don't want to have you know under un, uh, under apply and then the weather's good and then your crop just looks like it's lagging behind okay so there's that um there is an insurance uh, aspect to it we did some work looking at uh the pay the uh, why do farmers tend to over-apply? So they actually apply more than the optimal rate rather than cutting down. And it's this insurance aspect that they, um, that the, the benefit that they get from over-applying year after year um, is paid off in some, when the weather is really good, okay? You know, get the rains at the right time, you get sufficient temperature, you get a real yield boost if you've got the right amount of fertilizer on or enough fertilizer on the, and that outweighs the costs of over applying in the other years when you don't get that yield boost. Um, the other is something referred to as prospect theory, uh, Mike, where that farmers value a loss more than a gain. Okay. So, you know, a yield reduction of 10 of 10 bushels an acre hurts a lot more than a yield gain of $10 uh, per acre. So they want to avoid that loss as well. And so, you know, there's a series of these things that I think uh, prevent farmers from reducing that rate, even though there might be environmental benefits from doing so.
0: so. So, let me just make sure I understood what you said. The first thing you said was, even though it's very flat at the optimal rate, we see some farmers actually over applying to reduce the risk of a crop loss. And that's both from a prospect theory and from a risk management. Let's get those big years when we can get mm-hmm. them uh, yeah. and, and, realize that in other years we, we might over apply, but, uh, yeah. but the cost is, it, the cost is covered by the, by the, the gain in those good years, exactly. And and am I am I correct to say in years that we overapply, the risk of emissions is higher because that fertilizer isn't getting used. Exactly.
1: Yeah, that's that's so, the that's the downside. You know the the yeah. end. Uh, you know whatever isn't taken up often is is going either down into the ground through yeah. nitrates or it's going up into the air as nitrous oxide.
0: So, so environmental costs either way, either as a greenhouse gas or leaching into the, into the water table. Mm
1: -hmm. So,
0: so are the, uh, so prospect theory makes us sometimes do make decisions that aren't, uh, that aren't necessarily economically optimal because we react more to the loss than we do to the gain. Um, have you done work that that looks at whether the uh, whether the purely the economics of over applying pay or is that just a perceived uh, is that just a perceived benefit?
1: No, we did that a, a while ago with uh, of, of, um former student, Pedrag Rajic, who's now at the University of Waterloo, and uh, and that's the idea that the expected returns you know no risk averse behavior nothing like that it's just uh, expected returns over a period of time from those boosts in in yields uh in those good years uh outweighs the cost of over applying in the the average and not so good years so yeah that's uh
0: so, so even if we were being completely rational, if we were not considering the environmental costs of of overapplication, that there is a clear economic incentive to to overapply.
1: Yeah, along with all these other behavioral aspects, and I think the uh, the value of a good-looking crop that, that intrinsic value to producers is really important, and uh, so that's yet another re- you know a major driver from preventing them from reducing that rate from 250 for example that we yeah. suggested as an optimal.
0: So before listeners roll their eyes and say oh you know the vanity of farmers that the crop has to look good when the neighbors drive by that that that's a phenomenon that's not unlike you know people with pristine lawns and gardens in suburbia or uh, or or a fancy car in the driveway it's it is the, the, this isn't a, a this isn't a characteristic that's unique to farmers by any stretch. No,
1: no. Yet, you know, uh, the it also means so that I think unlike a, a, a good looking lawn is that a good looking crop is going to pay off. You know, you're the, when they say green crops, it means green, you know, green yeah. dollars as well. Um, so there is that, that vanity aspect, I guess you can say, you know, that, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm doing a good job. Okay. But, yeah. but, and, but, and I was going to ask gonna... that
0: exact, I was going to ask that exact question is, is it is, it is, it isn't just about vanity. It is when a crop looks good, it, per, it performs well, right? It, it grows exactly. better, it yields better. If a crop yeah. looks stressed, uh, just like you and I, if we are stressed, uh, we're not as productive as as when uh, as when we're not, and so That's so right. so it isn't it isn't just vanity. It is a bit different than having the the best looking lawn in the neighborhood. That's right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Exactly.
0: So so in in this circumstance, then we have uh, we have a bit of an issue where we have a clear environmental cost, and and you know there'll be people who disagree with how big that cost is and how important that cost is, but but the cost clearly exists. And we have an economic signal that says, apply more and apply lots. And, and you did talk earlier about the ability to sort of split applications and mm-hmm. you know precision agriculture will probably allow us to vary rates on different, you know, depending on the needs. And all of those will help us deal with, to a degree that over application, but we still have the economic incentive to over apply. How can policymakers uh, sort of look at finding ways to incentivize farmers not to overapply so that we mitigate some of these environmental, whether it's through greenhouse gases or through mm-hmm. nitrification of of, of waterways? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it's it's a difficult one. Um, you know, one of the one of the ways is that maybe you create an incentive. A financial incentive and uh, that could be through a stick and maybe you you impose a tax on fertilizer use and by increasing that price you will reduce the rate Um, that tends not uh, several states in the US have used it Uh, some jurisdictions in, in Europe have used it but it has typically been relatively ineffective and that's because there are a few substitutes for fertilizer, you know, for inorganic fertilizer, you know, I guess you could use organic, you could use probably rotations, but those are longer term things that you could adjust over time to. So, you know, you raise the price of fertilizer and, you know, fertilizer prices are really shot up uh, uh, over the last six months. And so we can see whether it will change the, the levels that farmers use, not likely very much because there's few alternatives to that. So, instead they almost use it like a uh these jurisdictions that have fertilizer taxes use it almost like a a means to generate revenue that is funneled to other programs almost like a syntax you could think of uh you know because um and um and those revenues are used to fund two types of programs one would be an educational program and And this might work particularly in terms of nitrogen because or fertilizer to demonstrate the differences in in alternative rates. So, you know, if you if farmers could be compensated for having a strip where they applied less to see what is the difference, you know, maybe then they'll go like, wow, that there maybe wasn't that big a, a, a difference as I as I was afraid of. Because they're afraid of changing, too. You know, that's another probably that, you know, this is where I'm at. It's been working. Why should I change? And um, and the so that's one aspect of the education. The other aspect is informing them about nitrous oxide emissions in particular and how it's associated with. uh, I, I think farmers have been very good to react to environmental problems where they can see the cause and effect, you know, um, I applied manure in the winter time and I see the runoff directly into the creek and that isn't good. Okay. So no. I'm not going to do that. Whenever they see the cause and effect, they, they're good at changing. It's, it's hard with the, uh, you know, you can't see nitrous oxide emissions uh, up and, and even if you could the relationship between the amount that you, sh- an individual farmer applies and where they apply it on the field and weather conditions, it will vary with the, the, the amount that goes up. So, you know, that would be another aspect. Um, and then, and then just uh, having them be aware of what goes in, you know, what this crop requires and, uh, and match their fertilizer uh, program to those needs. And, you know, some do a pretty good job at that, but, uh, but that's, you could probably subsidize, encourage the use of uh, of those sorts of programs, so that farmers are more aware of crop requirements and matching the requirements based on, you know, their soil fertility and uh, and soil health and uh, to what what is actually re- required for the by the crop.
0: So, so, so that makes sense. The the education program and 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 sort of putting some social pressure on to say, look, we're we're uh, mm-hmm. th- this is a this is a global issue, uh, and everyone needs to do their part. Now, I would argue that we've not seen a lot of success from that. We often hear people say, "Oh, we're a small chart; we shouldn't do it. They're more important, or they're mm-hmm. more important, mm-hmm. or you know, we've mm-hmm. seen agriculture say cars are." The truth is, if we're going to reduce emissions, we have to do it in small amounts across the board rather than say, well, that's the big one. That's the one that's there's not going to be a silver bullet. Right.
1: But I think you can. But I think, Mike, you could, you know, it's cost share programs that have been the typical means of encouraging farmers to adopt. So in terms of these, you know, generalizing agro-environmental programs, We've used sticks to prevent farmers from going back okay in other words we we don't want you, we don't want you do, in using a, a practice that's going to emit more greenhouse gas emissions okay so you can't go there um, but they use subsidy programs carrots to to pull to attract farmers uh, to adopt new practices or different practices that have environmental benefits. And so the latest federal budget included $300 million to, for the subsidization of practices that will reduce uh, greenhouse gas emissions. So in practices, the encouraging four R's, encouraging the use of cover crops, some set aside, some rotational grazing, those are kind of the main four categories that they've identified where they are going to allocate money as cost share to try to get farmers to adopt these practices
0: okay so so uh, my question is and, and and maybe we don't know the answer yet do those work do do they provide do they do they develop sustainable change so that when those subsidies or cost sharing are decreased or disappear do do we see a reversion or do we have we have we Have we incentivized the change and buffered the uncertainty of the change as they learn, but once they've learned, uh, they stick with it? Right.
1: Yeah, no, it's a good point, uh, Micah. And, you know, there are lots of examples uh, um, where, for example, farmers were paid to set aside uh, land through, you know, uh, many countries have used that. And then when crop prices go up, uh, all of a sudden, well, we'll forget that. and uh, Or particularly for some practices that are capital intensive and require a large outlay. And then, you know, what happens at the end of the three years? Uh, is, it, is it worth continuing to do? That money has dried up. Uh, um, and then there's a, this, and that's one side. And on the other side, there is something referred to as additionality. When assessing these programs, that um, if we give you some money, but you know what, you were going to do it anyhow, and so that's yeah. not really an effective use of, of dollars. So trying to determine those that were going to do it anyhow uh, from those that that need that extra boost to to get over. So some of it is just making farmers aware, and getting that push off from where they currently are. Um, uh, but there, yeah, the, the cost efficiency of them is, uh, sometimes, uh, pretty de- debatable.
0: Yep. So, so this has been really interesting, Alan, and, and I've got one more question here and then I'll give you a chance to add anything. If, if, if I forgot to ask you something, um, it, it strikes me that some of those sort of cost share transition programs, just like the set aside program will depend a little bit to on market circumstance. Um, you know, we're yeah. currently in quite high grain prices, if I'm not mistaken, uh, and also high fertilizer prices, which makes the high, gra- the high crop price makes it a little easier to deal with the high fertilizer price. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but high crop prices increase that economic incentive to make sure we don't leave any uh, potential yield in the field that might increase the incentive to, uh, to, uh, right. to over apply right. and if right. crop prices are low and fertilizer prices are high, still that decreases the incentive. Uh, so, so there are other issues that come into play here, uh, as to when such implementations may or may not work. Exactly.
1: No. And, and you know, it, 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 you, so you gave the example. What happens when market prices are very high? And uh, the counter is, and you know, I think you've explained what could happen for sure. The, the counter is when commodity prices really drop, and uh, and and then we have support programs like agri stability that kick in, and there will be those that argue that it continues to support. A a fairly narrow uh, rotation and uh, and the crop choices aren't as diverse as they would be if it would be a, you know, if if you let the market decide or if you modified agri-stability to to allow to encourage more diversification.
0: Well, yeah! Now we're going back 30 years to my master's thesis. Yeah, I think Alphonse great, and looking right? at the yeah. the impact of uh, the impact of uh, risk programs on yeah. on cropping decisions. So so uh, there's there's clear opportunity for us to reduce the emissions with, with from crop production. There's probably an opportunity to do it without having significant imp- economic impacts. If we spend time on management and understanding with some of those practices at the margin, uh, mm-hmm. if it's an, if it's a priority for governments and we see that it is, we've seen governments come in and and already provide some incentives for, for, yeah. for changing behaviors. Uh, we might see other things, you know, maybe, maybe in, within agri-stability, we have a, a sustainability bonus or something. There's lots of things we can do, but there, but there are opportunities, uh, there are opportunities for crop production to contribute to, uh, to emissions reductions without decimating necessarily, uh, the, the crop production and the profitability of farms.
1: Right. I would agree, Mike. And, uh, you know, and I'm, but I'm just thinking about another thing that, you know, another reason for not changing uh, fertilizer management too much is that in crop production, you've got this small window, right? When you have to put the crop in the ground and, and fertilizer goes on, maybe a planting, maybe even before. And it's so, it's just like, let's get it on. Let's get, we got to skitter scatter. Let's get at her. And, uh, it's, uh, um, you know, and that, and, and it, so it's not as, but you put more focus on, you know, the, the cost of ignoring the environmental uh, aspects of it, then, then farmers will probably look at the, at, at, adjust, just being more careful in their, in their fertilizer management.
0: Yeah. Good. Well, thanks Al. That's, uh, that's been excellent. And I, and I learned, uh, I learned some stuff and that's always cool too. Is there anything that, that you'd like to add or did we cover what you, what you thought was important here?
1: Yeah, no, I, I think the last bit that I added, I sort of, I should have probably mentioned earlier, uh, you know, and as farmers get, uh, producers get bigger and bigger then uh, that, that aspect of, uh, of timing and the cost of, uh, not getting things in the ground uh, it, it grows, I think, or the, the possibility of it grows. So, no, um, yeah, no, it's an interesting one. And uh, it has definitely generated a lot of interest amongst the farm groups. It's, it's uh, it, the federal government has identified as the new ag policy framework is being negotiated, that environmental st- sustainability is a key component and uh, and so they are going to be directing efforts, whether it's sticks or carrots. Uh, and farm groups are are responding in kind to say, "How can we?
0: How can we part of the solution?" And so, and I and I think that's an important that's an important point and a great place to end is that farmers aren't fighting this. Farmers are saying, "Help us make the adaptation." Yes. But but in many cases, they're recognizing the issue and are looking for ways. To, to to maintain a profitable business because that's what it is while while contributing to uh to greenhouse gas reductions more broadly that 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 are are prioritized by us as society so that's right good thanks al that's that's that was awesome and uh, i appreciate you taking the time thank you
1: mike good seeing it
0: That wraps up another episode of the Food Focus podcast. We very much appreciate you taking the time to listen. If you just discovered Food Focus, you can subscribe anywhere you get podcasts. If you enjoy the podcast, please give us a review. It helps others find us. Before we go, I want to thank my producer, Zach, for his hard work in making each episode sound good and for his original music that helps us transition. He does the hard work and we get to have all of the fun. Thanks. Have a great day.